Lost Season 4. Has Jack and crew still on the island? I know. They gave us a real teaser by showing us what they eventually become. And they're going to show us scenes of that all throughout up until the end, I believe. I don't think that in the Lost Stratosphere, you're ever going to be in current time only. You're going to be in a bunch of different places. And because of that, it's my job to help us to see clearly where we are in the Lost Verse. So let's get into season four. Flight 815 is the number of the flight and the name of the plane is the Oceanic. Back in the real world, everybody is under the impression via the news reports, the news cycles, that Oceanic 18 is at the bottom of an ocean and all passengers are dead. This is information that is broadcast as the current news cycle. Every station you turn to that provides news has this information. They even have footage of that plane, footage of the pilot. But as one character, and there are many new characters now because we're in a new season, but as one new character whose name, what is his name, guys? His name is Frank Lapidus. He watches the news one day and he hurries up and he answers the, he, he calls the news station and he says, you guys need to pull that story that you guys are doing because it is false. And they're saying, well, we can't let you talk to a supervisor unless you're, you know, important. And he was like, I am important because I was supposed to be flying that flight that day. Frank Faraday excuse me, Frank Lapidus. He is a pilot and he's a really good pilot, but he's a bit of a drunk. You know, you gotta have a little cracky, but he's kind of a drunky. And he knows that the corpse that he is watching on TV of the pilot is not the guy that he knows because the guy that he knows is very much in love with his wife, so in love with his wife, or was so in love with his wife that he would never be down there without his ring finger being adorned with the ring. And the operator is like, it's obvious that the ring slipped off in the wreckage. Durr. And he's like, no. And O spells, no, it's not right. Back on the island. Remember, or let's stay in the real world for a little while so I can round up Hurley's high-speed chase encounter. So Hurley goes on a high-speed chase. I found it kind of hilarious that when he got out of his car, he tried to actually run, guys. Yeah, Hurley tried to run from the police. <laughs> he did not get far. They bring him to the police station to interrogate him. And he is being interrogated by Ana Lucia's ex-partner. And, you know, Hurley looks at him like he knows her, but he doesn't really say much. 
and the man is trying to get Hurley to start talking about what the hell was going on. Like, why did we have to chase you all through town? And Hurley is like, not talking. He is very troubled ever since leaving the island. And the detective threatens him that if you don't stop acting like you acting right now, I am going to put you in, you know, you're saying some stuff that isn't sounding right and you're afraid because at one point Hurley is being plagued by um, delusion. He's delusional because he's in the room and before the detective comes in and you know how they watching you on camera, the two-way mirror breaks in with water and the water starts to fill the room. And this is obviously not real. But Hurley's freaking out. He bams on the door. Hey, help me. You know, so this is kind of where Hurley's mind is. And the detective is like, look, dude, if you don't calm down and tell us what the hell happened, we're gonna you're gonna end up in the loony bin. And Hurley's like, for real? Because remember, Hurley, that was his home at one point in the past. And he's like, you want to go to the loony bin. So Hurley gets his dream. He goes to the mental institution. And while there, um, Hurley is comfortable again. Him being around people who, the residents there, he is one of them. He feels at peace there. Unfortunately, while he's playing a game with one of his fellow residents, a skinny black guy shows up. I don't know his name yet. He's one of those... He's so mysterious, like an X-File person, you know. And he convenes with Hurley. And he starts to ask him all these cryptic questions. And he's very taken in by the fact that he's one of the Oceanic Six. Now, I don't know who the six are that came back from the island yet. And they're slow to reveal that. So I don't know who the Oceanic Six are at this point. But Hurley is definitely one of them. And I know Jack's one and I know Kate's one. Hurley ends the interview abruptly because the man wants something from him, but he's not being forthcoming. Another scene of Hurley in the mental institution, he's in the gym. And Hurley is really good at basketball. He's like really good. So when Jack shows up in his suit and tie and talks to Hurley and Hurley asks him, oh, are you back to your surgery? And Jack's like, yeah, I do surgery again. And they play a game, of course, and... Hurley is clobbering him. Jack's on R. He's on his R before Hurley says, why are you really here? Everybody wants something from Hurley, some, some, some coveted information that Hurley just will not budge on it. And so Jack's getting nowhere. So he puts his jacket back on to leave. And Hurley's like, we should have never left. We made a mistake coming here. And just like Jack was with Kate at the end of season three, Hurley's like this with Jack. We know Jack eventually loses the last score in his head and his life devolves. But he's not at the point where he's willing to admit it out loud yet. So Hurley's putting voice to his subconscious thoughts. Or maybe his conscious thoughts. But he is saying all the things that Jack doesn't want to hear. Because he knows that everything he's doing right now is just existing. He doesn't want to be here anymore either. And, but Jack angrily leaves like, Hurley, no. We're here. It's fine just like Kate was. Back on the island, Jack and Kate are waiting for the rescuer in scare quotes that they radioed. 
with the radio of the woman who parachuted into the island. And she is dead now because John Locke killed her. Remember, John Locke is the hater. He just be hating on everything. So they're, the first rescuer that makes it to the island or that they run into is Daniel Faraday. Daniel Faraday walks up to Kate and Jack. And Kate and Jack, at this point, they're survivors. And as survivors, they're like wild animals. They don't really trust you and stuff, especially when he turns around to take a private call, you know, from one of the other people on the end of the radio. And they notice that he has a gun. So it's like, okay, baby, you came here all aggressive you didn't come here to rescue us with no damn gun. No, you didn't. So they're like, why you got a gun? And eventually their mm, exchange ends up being held at gunpoint because he definitely went there, but not for the reasons that it, it seems apparent. It seems like he came to rescue them, but Jack and Kate being wild like they are now, they're like, well, why did you really come here? Because you didn't come here to rescue us. And if you did, you came here for some other stuff, but it was before your mission to rescue us. The next new character and rescuer that makes it to the island is named Miles Strum. Miles Strum is our second or let's say our third Asian character. Our um, This uh, character is a ghost hunter. Yes, a ghost hunter. He comes to the house of people. He had a lady client whose grandson had died. He was a gang banging drug dealer he went up to his room and he was able to call on the ghost. He had like, his contraption looks like um, um, a vacuum attached to, you know, the, the handheld vax attached to something that he opens up and does a little prayer or something. And then that spirit communicates with him, except this spirit communicated with him where his stash of money and drugs was. Miles left the drugs and took the money. And then went back downstairs and gave the lady some of the money back that he conned out of her in the very beginning. I don't know if it was his guilt or the fact that he found thousands behind the vent in the room. But Miles Strum is a ghost hunter. He, he makes it to the island and he is hostile, to put it mildly. He, he has his gun drawn on them. Um, he looks like he kind of crashed onto the rocks. But when Jack goes and investigates further... Um, he holds him at gunpoint and he's like, where is the parachuter? Can't remember her name. Naomi, Naomi. Where's Naomi? She called me before she died. You guys killed her. And Kate kind of talks him off the ledge a little bit, but Miles has a very, very bad spunky attitude. He does not play that stuff. And he's, he's just always on 10. It's hard to describe him, but he he has his little one-liners. Um, when you tell him something, he's just defiant. Miles is very defiant. And uh, if he's going to be an addition to the group, he's going to be a, a really hard contender to deal with. Um, he looks like, at first glance, before I really started to look at him, he looks Japanese. But I think he may be Chinese. And I know there's more than Chinese in Japanese, guys. But... He may be Chinese. And um, that is Miles Strum. They have Jack and Kate at gunpoint. And Jack winks at Kate at some point because she's kind of still in resist mode. But he's like, play this with me. So he tells them, look, put the gun down. You, you, you can just put the gun down and 
Danny was like, well, why the hell would I put my gun down? And Jack's like, because my friends are about to shoot your ass. And Saeed and Juliet fire some warning shots and come out of the bushes and rescues Kate and Jack to the point where they're no longer, you know, under gunpoint, but rather the guns are now on Daniel and Strum. At the end of season three, Walt was shot. Not Walt. <laughs> I always get Walt's name mixed up with somebody else's. John was shot. He was shot in the side of his chest by Ben. Ben had decided that John had been used as much as he needed to. And there was this ditch that everybody that got shot at the Dharma Collective, they eventually put all those people into a huge ditch. So by now, they are skeletons. He shot John and John fell back into the skeletons. And it looked like John was going to die. But we all know, showrunners, y'all ain't gonna kill John. John might make it all the way to the end. He might be the king of the island at the end. So John recovers from that. Because on this island, John is really going through some majestical things. I mean, one the one lady, Rose, she has... Her cancer is gone and he can walk, but any injury he gets, it heals completely where you can't even tell that there was ever any injury. So John Locke's bullet, it went through his chest, but out his back. And that wound is now healing at record pace. And at one point he has to show that wound to Sawyer to kind of make him a believer that, you know what? I saw Walt. Walt is who saved my life. Walt is who we're going to. Walt is who we need to find. And on their mission to find Walt, they still have Ben in tow. Ben has been uh, their prisoner, captive. And Sawyer was like, well, why do we have to keep listening to you, A? And B, why are we still keeping this guy alive? He is more trouble than we will ever know. And John gives his dirge and he shows him the wound and it shuts Sawyer up for a second until Sawyer says he is coming for all of us and we know it. It's only a matter of time and I think that Sawyer is exactly right. Our next rescuer is Charlotte. Charlotte is an eccentric, rich, British socialite who instead of doing what her family probably wants her to do is a bit of an explorer she has strong armed herself onto archaeological sites in different parts of the world that she wasn't supposed to be on and she's discovering things that have the dharma collective emblem on it and she smiles because she's happy when um her when the um when the chopper goes down on the island who Frank Lapidus is piloting, she bails, ejects herself from the chopper, and she lands in the water on the island, obviously. And when she comes to the surface, she isn't gasping for breath like you think. She's laughing and she's smiling and she's happy because... This is another discovery. This is something else for her to do to amuse herself. So she convenes with the rest of the island because all the people that escaped with uh, John, they're all 
nomading this area with him. They're not at the beach anymore. They're still at in the jungle. And not because they don't know their way back to the beach or they're lost. It's that they want to be out of sight to whomever is piloting into the island because they do not want to be found. And when John says as much, when he reveals this to Charlotte, she can't understand why they don't want to be found. She's talking to them like she's some kind of a first grade teacher and she's amazed and she thinks that they're awesome and wow, what have you guys been doing all this time? And wow, Claire, you have a baby. Did you have that baby here? This is awesome. This is great. Because in her mind, she's still journaling all of this mentally. And they're all looking at her like wild animals. They're not smiling. They are not finding any amusement. They don't think she's cute. They're not impressed by her. They see her as the threat that she is. So eventually, John holds her at gunpoint. And he doesn't even do that. He shoots her. She goes down and looks like she's dying. And um, somebody comes in and swoops in one of the folks. And turns out that she had a bulletproof vest on. So the girl is smart. She's smart. She was like, now nah, I'm going on this expedition. But y'all not going to have me get killed. So she gets shot. And unfortunately, um, she makes it. And I say unfortunately because I don't like Charlotte. She's annoying. Like, she's really annoying. And I don't like her. Frank Lapidus is the guy like everybody else on the island. Everybody else on the island is brilliant in some distinctive way that makes them something special. But they've got a deep flaw in their lives that almost overshadows what makes them brilliant. So Jack, when you see him turn into Jackie Cracky or Cracky Jackie, you know that behind all of that addiction and that depression is a man who can piece together your shattered spine and make you run a marathon if you just give him the time. Lapidus is like this too. When Jack and Kate find him, he's kind of injured, but not so injured that it's fatal. And they're like, well, how did you get here? He was like, what the hell you mean? I, I flew the chopper in and they were like, oh, okay, where did you wreck out at? And he was like, well, what the hell kind of pilot do you think I am? I didn't wreck out. The baby's over there. He looked like he was going to crash, but Lapidus being the ace, silver-winged guy he is, he was able to write his course and make sure that he landed and not a piece of paint. It, that damn chopper doesn't have a scratch on it. It is sitting on what is a convenient landing paddish cliff, perfectly waiting for them, no, for Saeed to come in and do his little mechanics so that they can get off the island. This may be the way they get off the island. But it's not altogether clear. Eventually. They crack the rescuers. They are able to. Force the truth out of them. Why are you all here? You're not here for us. We're going through all these damn changes. Y'all got everybody hype. What? Is the, what's the reason why you're here? Just tell us the truth. 99.9% of us don't want to leave. And the ones that do want to leave are not leaving with you unless you tell them, you know, since you're not here for us, we want to leave, but we know y'all don't want us to actually go, but we're going anyway. So we all have kind of the same problem. And it is you guys. So the reason that they're there is because they're there to get 
Benjamin Lioness. Benjamin Lioness is Ben. Twerpy, punchy face Ben, who has been punched in his face so many times. The makeup did a great job of making his lip disfigured and puffy. And they just keep punching him over and over and over again. I'm surprised that, you know, between his spine, which cannot be healed completely yet, and him sustaining so many blows to the face, I'm surprised he's not already dead. But they're there to get Lioness because Lioness, Benjamin Lioness, is a, a wanted man. And I don't mean like America's most wanted like Kate, but Benjamin is somebody that people are after. And I don't think they want to give him a hug and a kiss when they find him. Frank Lapidus is the pilot who brings the rescuers in. And I say rescuers in square quotes because they are not rescuers. They are there for a mission, and that mission is not to rescue anybody. John Locke and Sawyer and that faction of Islanders, they are hiding because they have a, they believe John Locke's intuition about the fact that they are not safe. If anybody choppers into the island, so they are going back to the Dharma Collective's uh, cabins, if you will. They're going over there to uh, take refuge. And so all of them except Jack and Kate have gone to do that. Jack and Kate want to get off the island. And their highest priority has been to get off the island. And as you know, uh, John Locke is at home. So he ain't going nowhere. And apparently, I guess everybody else has decided that's their home too because they all follow after him. Back in the real world, um, Saeed Jara, J-A-R-R-A-H, he has become a hitman for Ben. Saeed, his number one goal all this time has been to find his wife. Her name is Nadia. And one day, unfortunately, uh, she dies. And she dies by the hand of people who Ben knows. And Ben finds Saeed back in Tikri, Iraq. And he's at the funeral procession, but spies Ben out on the roof. And Ben approaches him and gives him a list. And that one at that list, there are the names of the people who are responsible for Nadia's death. And Saeed does everything except beg Ben to give him that list so that he can fulfill that list. And that means picking all of those people off that list. Ben smiles after he pretends to refuse to give Saeed that list. Because remember, Ben, his angle is not that he wants you to do it. It's that he wants you to want to do it. And boy, does Saeed want to do it. So when we see him on the golf course playing a game of solitary, you know, golf. And a guy approaches him and he accepts the challenge to a new game. Once that guy realizes who Saeed is after a very um, awkward introduction, the guy can't, there's nowhere to run on a golf course. And Saeed guns him down because obviously his name is on the list. Now, upon first viewing, I thought that, wow, Ben's got Saeed under his finger because Saeed, sustained an injury after one of his little excursions and Ben was doctoring him up because he can't go to the doctor in order to be patched up because Saeed is one of the Oceanic Six and they are infamous 
for all the wrong reasons. They're infamous because of obvious reasons, but they don't live they don't have the ability to live the type of life that we can live it's akin to being a celebrity but almost worse because where the celebrity kind of feeds off the attention the oceanic six is doing everything that they can not to not to have attention that is obviously on them it isn't long before kate decides to stay on the island and it isn't all that clear why she stays on the island, but Sawyer is always a noose around Kate's ankle. I'm not her neck, but just her ankle. As soon as you see Kate and Jack getting somewhere, as it were, the writers do a really good job of making us forget that Sawyer loves, that Kate is in love with Sawyer and Jack. And I have so much passion when I say that because I almost hate to say that because I'm not shipping anybody. But gosh, I watched enough dramas to know that somebody's got to die. There's no way that those that level of passion can exist unless this is going to turn into um, brother husbands, not sister wives. Like there's no way that anybody can win in that situation. And it's going to really hurt to see Sawyer lose because it looks like that's where it's headed. And every time I think, man, okay, Sawyer and Kate don't make sense. I said that last season. I was like, okay, I'm starting to see it. And then Sawyer will roll back up on your ass and whisper something in your ear. They are in a chopper and they're trying to escape from the island at one point and they're losing fuel because at some point, I guess the fuel tank must have been damaged. They're losing fuel like nobody's business. And any of you who have experience with, you know, piloting know that the lighter you can make your air aircraft, the the longer you can go without losing that fuel. You're going to crash, but you're not going to crash as fast. What draws me back in every single solitary time as Kate, Jack, Sawyer, Lapidus, who's piloting the plane, and somebody else on there, is that Sawyer has already made his mind up. He really was never going to leave the island. Not really. Nevertheless, he gets on the copper, the chopper and they're in the air and they're in pursuit. And there's a decision to be made and he makes that decision. Now, I'm a little slow, y'all. I ain't see it at first. But once he whispered in her ear, I knew what time it was after that. He gave her some kind of message that... We don't know because the viewer didn't get that kind of access, but he told Kate something. And then he jumped off a fucking helicopter. I love this show. It is going to kill me for Sawyer to die or for Sawyer to get rejected or whatever they're going to do. It's going to kill me because I like Sawyer. I don't even see this as a love triangle, guys. Because is it a triangle when you love both of them equally? Maybe so. 
But then they say there's no such thing as a perfect triangle. Nevertheless, before we get to the whole Sawyer ripping my heart out with his bare hands, Saeed and Desmond, they get off the island first. This is that first trip that Lapidus makes with them plus the corpse. The corpse of the first lady slash rescuer who came on the island and they shot and um, unfortunately she died. They took her to be buried properly and then they took Saeed and Desmond. Saeed and Desmond, they got dropped off on the boat. The boat was supposedly the boat that Desmond's fiance um, paid to go out and look for him. When they get to this boat, they find that it's anything but, you know, the correct boat. But it's a good thing that we find this boat because on this boat is Michael, who is working under a different name so that he's undercover. And his job as he is on this boat is to kill everybody on the boat, including himself. And we will get to more about his story. Kate in the real world if you're wondering well how does a fugitive regardless of if you are an oceanic six survivor how do you skate you know federal crimes and how do you get away with that well kate goes to court and she goes to court and they are bringing out her case and unfortunately there is no defense for what she did however the oceanic six they're famous again for all the wrong reasons but the public adores them and they're a little wild. And I say that because um, at some point in the trial, they realize that there's no way that a jury is going to convict Kate. They bring a star witness up, which is Jack. And Jack, he comes up and he gets on the stand and her lawyer is asking Jack some soft hitting questions. And he ends it by asking if he loves Kate. And it's not her lawyer, it's the defense lawyer that you know, it's the prosecutor that asked him that and he looks at her in the eye and he lies and says, no, I used to. Um, at some point, the two lawyers have to convene because, again, she's not going down for this crime and the prosecutor knows it. And so um, they sit at the table and they're talking about it and um, the prosecutor needs to see Kate go to jail for the crime she's done. So she puts a deal out there and her lawyer is like, um, you know, spells, no, you got me messed up. We need something better than that. And the, the prosecution says something else. And um, Kate says, I'll take it. And the offer was 10 years of probation and you don't leave the state all those 10 years. Her lawyer is in fight mode and he's like, um, he's actually in negotiation mode. And he's like, girl, don't accept that now. And she's like, look, I have got a son. Yes, a whole son that I need to get back to. I need stability. And for 10 years, I, this is a slap on the wrist. Yes. So Jack and uh, Kate meet outside in the parking area. Part of the deal on the table that her defense attorney uh, bargained for her was that she would get secretly um, exited out of the courthouse into a car into her house. Um, they are stars. They can go nowhere in the city without being bombarded by people. So the prosecution agrees and she goes out in this back entrance and Jack is back there because he's got to be snug out too. And he walks up on her and she walks up on him and they have their intimate, hey, you know, their hey has so much behind it. It's, 
it's they say so much in hay, they say more in hay than most people say to each other um in an entire conversation and he's like you know I did not tell the truth on the stand about not loving you and she's looking at him and he's looking at her and she's like you know whenever you're ready please you know come back and he's like and she's like I know that it's hard for you to see him and him is her son and her son is Aaron and for those of you who are paying attention who is Aaron Aaron is Claire's son and it's like damn how is Aaron your son now well Aaron um unfortunately um Claire was killed on the island um there are people coming after them on the island and John Locke was right as he always seems to be and when those people came on the island they came with guns now this first crew they were not there for any good reason either, but they didn't come in shooting. They just came in to kind of, you know, they, they, that little group was a little bit more uh, low key. This group here is shooting first and asking questions later and not even asking questions. And in that mayhem, Claire ended up dying. And it, if I'm not mistaken, she either ended up dying in that mayhem or she died in another set of circumstances. But she did not make it. But the son did. And Kate now has that son. And then it'd be like, okay, well, damn, what did Claire and Jack do that now Jack has a problem and it's hard for him to see the son? Well, it turns out that Jack's dad was not all that let's just say honest in his lifetime he had a daughter that daughter was an adult who lived in australia this is why his dad was in australia when he died because he had looked up his ex chick who had a daughter named claire claire's son is his nephew and his nephew's name is Aaron, who is now under Kate's parentage. Jack is devastated by this. Jack, in real life, in present day, is very cracky and is just haunted by anything you can do. Any, any haunting that you can have mentally, Jack has. He's a brilliant doctor and he is a really good guy. But he is completely haunted. And when he finds out that his dad had a whole nother I don't want to say he had a family this was just a baby mama baby you got caught up and you got pregnant or whatever and y'all stayed in contact but it wasn't like she was a you know like he was trying to have two wives simultaneously that's not the impression I get they haven't said that yet so let me just put it like that Jack can't really face Aaron not only can he not face Aaron because Aaron is his damn nephew but or let me wait a minute yeah his nephew because it's claire's his sister okay so um jack got all cracky at one point when him and kate tried to make it work and you know he had an argument in front of the little boy who barely woke up and it wasn't really even a big deal but he and kate butted heads significantly 
So he has that plus that. And Jack is the type of person that he'll never forgive himself. Even if you forgive him, you could take him down to the altar, baby, and forgive him. Sprinkle him with all the holy stuff. He will never, ever be able to let go when he makes a mistake. Jack is not a person that can make a mistake. He is a fixer. And when he can't fix something, it haunts him eternally. Very difficult personality to live with because Jack's perfectionism is just at a level that the average person cannot function underneath and neither can he. Because his drug abuse and his alcoholism makes so much more sense once you realize that for Jack, failure is not only <clears throat> not an option, it is kryptonite. It kills him a little bit every time he does it. And then with the crack and the damn alcoholism, that's going to finish the job. When Saeed and Desmond discover Mike, Michael, he is not forthcoming about why he's there, what his mission is. The Saeed being the G that he is, he rolls up on Michael and he's like, dude, you're going to tell me what's up. Oh, you don't want to listen. You don't want to tell me. Let me ham you up then. Let me snatch you by your shirt and, you know, try to bully the truth out of you. And he eventually does. And, um, you know, Mike, Michael's backstory begins to unfold. Michael's backstory is such that he went back to the world in the real world. And the reason that he was able to go back before everybody went back. Michael is not a part of this Oceanic Six cult of the personality he went back earlier ben cut him a deal um michael was able to earn his way back by killing Ana lucia and hurley's fake girlfriend um as long as he ran the job that ben had him run on the island he was able to leave and so his you know traitorous ways you know enabled him to leave the island when he got back to manhattan which is where he lives his life is worse than ever before because he's not a part of the oceanic six i guess he didn't get that welcome home you are insta millionaire package because he lives in the heart of the hood of manhattan and unfortunately walt is not with him walt lives with his mom michael's mom because walt just can't get right walt can never figure Walt's kryptonite is that he can't figure out how to be a dad, which, ugh, I mean, Michael is the one character that potentially will make you mad, but not so much for me this episode or this season because Michael wants out of this world. He wants to die. But the peculiar thing about Michael and all of them is that that island leaves something in you. You take a part of it with you and Michael took invincibility with him. Yes, he took his inability to die with him michael has attempted to kill himself so many times in the real world that it's it's funny when you see him trying to do it at some point he buys a revolver and he's in the alley and he you know loads it up and he shoots himself in the mouth but it jams and he opens up the gun and he spins the little well and he's like wait a minute one two three there are six bullets in it and he tries it again and again no matter what Michael does, he cannot kill himself. And as you're watching this unfold, you realize it's the island and Michael is tormented because he can't kill himself. He can't get out of this life. He can't escape the horrors of everything that went on on the island. And then to put a cherry on the top, he's the suckiest dad of ever in life 
of history. He goes over to his mom's house and he's like, what's up? I mean, see Michael and his mom's like, I love you, but get the hell away from me, which I don't know how you love me. <laughs> She's like, get away. I do not want you to. Mm -mm. I have to put a note here. She went to um, visit Hurley with my, with Walt and her makeup was so good in her hair. She's got gray hair, but they did her makeup so cute. Thank you, show. Showing that just because you old don't mean you have to be all out of the fight or something. You can be cute and old. And I love that they gave her a, a job with her makeup and they make her like an old mammy. And I don't mean that like, you know, stereotypical Aunt Jemima type of thing. But, you know... They don't seem to like to go as far to get the old people right. Thank you for getting her makeup right. It was on lock. And I think that that made her character more interesting. Anyway, let me keep going. So she's like, scram. You need to leave because, dude, you already disappeared from me for all that time. You ain't told me nothing. You didn't tell me where you went. You didn't tell me why you went. You didn't tell me why you back. And Michael for obvious reasons, can't really discuss a lot of what happened on the island because of reasons I will go into later. Unfortunately, Kinsu uh, is um, privy to a conversation that Sun has with, um, I forget her name, Juliet. Son and Juliet have a little bit of a tiff in which, for one reason or another, I don't know, it might not be Juliet, guys. It's somebody she's having a tiff with. It has to be Juliet because only Juliet knows that Son had a affair on Chinsu. Yes, Son was with the little bald Korean guy over in Korea because... Chinsu was always running around Korea killing for her dad. Son's rich and lonely. And you know, that's the only thing that rich and lonely can do. Anyway, and I don't want to see, say that's the only thing that rich and lonely can do, but as it relates to Son, it is because she had a million other things she could have been doing with her time other than trying to love somebody who didn't really love her. He had a girlfriend too. Nevertheless, um, so she's having this argument and dare I say Jen now speaks English, broken English, but he has picked up some survival English. He has a whole library full of English that he can speak now. And because he can speak English now, when son and homegirl are having their little spat about how um, this baby might not even be Chinsu's because you've been running around with the bald guy in Korea, Jinsu knows what was said. So they get, you know, they are, she storms off because she assumes, oh my God, he never wants to talk to me again because he knows that I was, you know, dipping out on our marriage. He comes back later that evening with some food and he's like, you know, which means, do you want something to eat? You eat today? And she's like, I didn't think you were ever going to talk to me again. And he's like. I was not the same person that I am right on this island back in Hanguka. 
I am better than I was back then. And for you to cheat on that cheat suit was okay. Chin has really grown on me. He was so cantankerous and so wildly jealous. Now, Michael being removed from the mix did help a lot. But even before Michael was removed from the crew, they had struck up a very interesting bromance and they would literally die for each other. OMG, are you guys trying to kill me? I think so. So Chin Su is... His character development is excellent. He's not even mad at her for cheating on him because he hated himself. That is one hell of a development to be able to uh, compartmentalize the fact that you were a piece of shite. And that your wife deserved to have someone to fill that void because you wouldn't anything to write home about he broke my heart when he tells her that he forgives her and even more is my heart trampled upon when he asks her in english is the baby mine oh my god y'all i was done flip me over and she was obviously crying and grateful and yes, it is yours. They got in an argument, her and Juliet or whoever the hell it was. But it wasn't that they were saying that Jin Su is not the father. It was just that it was like, okay, but you all out here hoeing around in Korea like that. So the baby is not the bald guy in Korea because the timing doesn't match up. Remember, this is an island of invincibility. If you have cancer, you don't have cancer anymore. If you're crippled, you can walk. And if you're infertile, now you can have a baby. And that's exactly what's happened. She is pregnant by Chinsu. Chinsu is happy. He is so touched by their reconciliation and it's not so much a reconciliation about uh you know him ear hustling on an argument she was having earlier in the day it's a reconciliation of their love them being lovers they are able to come back together as the chinsu who worked as a doorman at the hotel and as son who fell in love with him just because of who he was they hug it out and he is full of gratitude he says i want to name her and he and she's like her and he's like yeah and son Jinsu being so moved and captivated by the moment he wants, he tells her that I want to name the baby Chiyong. And Sun gives him a playful slap and she's like, no, 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 no. You know, we can't do that. That's bad luck to name the baby before it arrives. 
you have to wait until the baby is born. We don't know if it's going to be a girl or a boy, but no, we can't do that yet. And he smiles knowingly because he has decided that he's got a feeling about it and he's probably right and he is. Because in the real world, when Sun gets back to South Korea, she has the baby and unfortunately she goes into labor and Chinsu is not there. I don't know what happens when they get back to the real world that makes Chinsu not right there by Sun's side. I'm going to take a guess and say that he's probably doing something in order to keep himself and her alive because I just can't imagine him coming back to North or South Korea and becoming the Jinsu that he was before he left. He really evolved into a, a character who could speak English. <laughs> and he just really was a dependable, rock-solid person on the island. In one scene, he's seen getting this panda. And this panda, when I say this panda, is big. It's like the size of a man that's about 6'3". Not that heavy, but it's a huge freaking stuffed animal. And I guess it's common to bring a gift like that to a person giving birth. And at first I'm like, oh, you are so cute. Look at you. You are doing the right stuff. Because one scene shows, you know, son screaming because she's giving birth. And then another, you know, scene is Chin Su running through a market with a huge panda he just bought and you think that he's bringing it to his wife but he's not he's bringing it to one of his freaking um i kill people for son's dad clients whose daughter had a child he brings it for him and i don't know if this timing is off and it just looks like it's the same day son's giving birth but nevertheless son has to give birth on her own in the hallway there's a guy who looks similar to Chin Su, but it's not him. And she mistakes it for him and thinks it's him and calls out for him at one point, but it isn't. And alas, she has the baby and it is a girl. And she names her Tian. Son, um, one day she is putting on a really pretty dress and getting herself all gussied up. And she's looking in the mirror, checking herself, and the baby coos, and she goes, and she, you know, sees about the baby. A knock at the door, and she goes, and she answers the door, and at the door is a very dapper, very nicely put together Saeed, not Saeed, but Hurley. Hurley came to visit son and the baby. And they go, as their dress points to a grave. Chin Su's grave. Chin Su died. Doesn't show us how. Doesn't really show us why. But unfortunately, Chin Su did not bring back invincibility. He died. And Hurley had come back to, you know, to pay his respects and to visit the baby. And so he did. And G Sun Ha is just broken. This scene, I didn't cry as much. I don't know if I teared up at all. Because I was more heartbroken and more moved by 
who Chin Su had become. And when I saw how complete a person he had become, I knew that his days were numbered because I have seen enough of these damn shows to know that when you get good or something, you die. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened to Chin Su. Now, exactly how or why, we don't know yet, but he's gone. And I hate to see it because he and Michael were boys. Dare I say, had a real nice bromance going, and I would have loved to see that. But unfortunately, they can't. Back in the camp, back on the island, John's group, they have to convene. They have to they have to get ready for war. Because the people that are not playing are on their way. And as a result of all of the mayhem of them coming to the island and attempting to find Ben, a shootout ensues and people die. Random folks, you know, people that they don't even bother to name die. Sawyer, he is separated from everybody that's um, barricading themselves inside of John Locke's place. In John Locke's place is Ben and Hurley and John Locke. Sawyer realizes that Kate's still taking a nap or something. So he got to go get her. And they like, no, save yourself. And Sawyer, I love Sawyer. Sawyer never thinks about himself. Not now. Back in the real world, he will steal from your ass. But now he is going to save you even if you shoved, you know, branches up his fingernails. He is going to help you. So he went back to get Kate and this scene is super funny to me because <laughs> the the soldiers I guess that came to the island to freaking kill everybody and get Ben they're able to pick everybody off with ease except Sawyer. Sawyer's walking up to her house and one guy comes out and he's like huh and he gets shot and Sawyer he has no cover he's like literally you know, splattering himself up against the wall and like ducking, but there's no logical reason why Sawyer's not getting killed because he still has to turn around and walk toward the door. And another lady comes out of the house like, hmm, pow pow, and she gets killed. So he goes in there and he rescues Claire for a while. And, you know, they run and run and run. And I think his name is Strum, the grumpy little guy that came, the little grumpy Chinese guy that you know was one of the rescuer the low-key rescuers he Kate and and uh Sawyer end up getting let's just say separated together they blow the house up so they have to leave and they're going through the jungle and Strum is side-eyeing Kate and he's doing more of a side eye he's doing a whole eye because for Ben and his group and every damn body else Pregnant women and babies are like gold on this island. Back in the Dharma days when they were relevant back in the 60s or 70s, they was running some old janky ass experiments out there on pregnant women. We don't know what it is, but Strom must still be running experiments or something because he's looking at Kate like, not Kate, but uh, um, Claire like, I'm going to have you and the baby for breakfast and lunch or something like that. And Sawyer's like, dude, don't look at her. And Strong's looking at him like, what the fuck you mean don't look at her? And Sawyer is like, look, I'm giving you a restraining order. Do not come within 20 feet of her. 
Comprende? And Strom, being the grumpy little guy he is, he's like, fine, you know. And so they have to camp for the night because they're on the run. And they all fall asleep. Sawyer wakes up. And Strom's sitting there being grumpy. He, he always got a damn frown on his face. And I don't have a problem with a frown. But everything else about him is just like, ugh, I can't wait to you trip over something real good or something, you know. So, um... Sawyer wakes up and he's like, what's up? Where, where is Claire? And Strom's like, oh, you mean the person you told me I can't come within 20 feet of? She went that way. And Sawyer's like, get your ass up and come over here and help me find Claire. You know what the hell I meant. I ain't mean let her get. Okay. So they're walking and it's not long before they're actually following the sound of crying because Claire's ass ain't nowhere to be found but the baby the baby has been left behind which is strange because since you know pregnant women and babies are like gold it's very convenient that the baby just got left behind and not mauled or stolen or something so anyway the baby's left behind Sawyer takes the baby in arm and they start to do what they have to do and there isn't very much shown to us about that but the baby does end up in Kate's care and and are you guys just feeling how Kate and Sawyer were these de facto parents to Aaron and then John knows or Jack rather he knows that you know Sawyer is his direct competition and that Kate definitely loves him because nobody can hide that wow back in the real world when Michael's trying to kill himself in the alley he gets rolled up on by one of Ben's henchmen and he's back in the real world obviously and he takes him up to the good part of Manhattan the part that's not the hood to a penthouse suite and this henchman sends his little boyfriend scurrying which I find incredibly interesting and I would love to have his backstory because he is unsuspecting and the little, the boy love that's going on between him and and his friend, which is not like boy love, but you know, guys love. I, I am he told him to scoot on, but before he told him to scoot so he could talk to Michael, he gave him a very obvious we are in love and stuff kiss. And I just was like, Okay, see, okay, let me move on. <laughs> when you see this character, if you ever saw this character. One of Ben's henchmen, he is the least likely suspect to be having him a little boyfriend. But okay, I, I, I'm here for all of that. Anyway, he sits Michael down and he tells him that he sits him, you know, you know the drill. Where they, they, they hit you with something that's going to crack you worse than you already cracking up. And he puts a, a, a manila envelope in his hand and Mike's looking at him like, what am I supposed to do with this? I'm a failed dad. I don't know how to read either. And it's like, open the damn envelope, Michael. Read it. You ain't got nothing else to do. You can't die. You might as well read something. And you in a penthouse suite. He got all this damn food laid out. And they got their little drinks and shit. They eating and drinking and living good. Why don't you soak up some of the central air? Wait, is it winter? Soak up some of the heat in here. Sit the hell down. Ask him, you know, turn the table. Michael quit being so damn pathetic. When you see Michael, you just be wanting to like, ugh. Now, 
I ain't gonna lie, by season four, it, it is obvious that these people on Lost are making money because their makeovers are just like, yes. Saeed's hair is straightened and not that he couldn't get spiffy in season one or any of them for that matter. But Michael, he makes one of the most noticeable transformations. Michael in the real world, I'm talking about the actual life, not on the set of Lost, but in the world. He found a good barber. It's like, damn, Michael, you have to be on four episodes of Lost to get him find a good barber. He found an esthetician that got his little skin on his face together. Okay, his lips, I don't feel like I want to put chapstick on him every scene. You could tell that Mike in real life, the real him, is making a couple of dollars. I am not mad at you, Michael. So it's not bothering me as much because writers and producers of shows don't like to admit this they they don't like to accept this but we can accept bad things from people when they look better okay sorry so you know okay you want us to like your villains make them look good it's not that hard it's one plus one is what so michael i'm not quite as mad at him as he looking like him know how to open up this damn envelope and read it because in real life the real guy looks he looks better his haircut yes so the guy fills all the blanks in and he tells him that you know um Whitmore Whitmore is um Desmond's fiance it's her dad her dad is a really important guy he's like the president of earth okay so you got the president of the fucking united states but then you got the president of the earth the president of the earth you don't know who he is he stays behind you know whatever the hell they stay behind he's nefarious he's evil and he do shit that nobody ever would just he does shit of novels okay so flight a15 that was leaving from australia they got crash and shit that was on purpose that was purposeful he got he went over to thailand and you know when you're the president of the earth you can do shit like buy corpses so he bought over 300 something of them from thailand yeah he went over to thailand he bought cor corpses and shit and he also bought a um 777 yeah a whole fucking plane put them motherfucking corpses in the plane dress the corpses up because you can't just have them in there naked so the pilot they put some pilot clothes on him and this is how frank lapidus realized that something wasn't right with everything and that the whole thing was a hoax because they forgot to put a fucking ring on the damn corpse but only frank lapidus and his old alky ass can see that this one little minute detail is off, which I found really nice. And I'm not trying to, you know, if, if alcoholism makes you see detail like that, maybe you should keep drinking. Shit, I'm just saying, because that might save you. So, went, had Thailand, give him a little receipt and shit for 300 and something corpses. Got him a plane, dressed them people up, put them on the plane, dropped it down a freighter so fucking deep that no none of the rescuers would be willing to go that far to find them 
whatever they had on the news had to be via some kind of scope or some kind of camera because he knew that by putting this operation together that he would basically be cementing the fact that nobody on flight 315 made it and this is why everybody in the quote real world thought that everybody on flight 815 died and i can't remember if her name is penny but her fucking dad boy how do you think desmond remember when desmond went and interviewed penny's dad for her hand in marriage when he said you are not worth the two finger shot i am pouring for myself he meant that he meant that when you own the planet of earth you cannot marry into that family baby you cannot marry into that family so I'm not sure why Desmond is still trying to do this shit. Now, does he know that Whitmore is behind it between Saeed, Michael, and their little journey on the boat that they got off of? You know, they got a little dinghy and they escaped from that before it blew up. Because Michael wasn't playing when he said he was going to kill everything on there. Nevertheless, um, Desmond knows that Whitmore is kind of like that guy. He might not know the full extent, like, he doesn't know that he dressed corpses up and purchased people from Thailand, but he does know that Whitmore is kind of a guy that you just kind of don't want to know. So Charles Whitmore is the, the mastermind behind all of these people ferrying in and parachuting in and choppering in. Because as you can imagine, the grand conspiracy that he has created himself if anybody finds that these people are alive, OMG, it's not a good thing. When the mercenaries come in to kill Ben or to kill everybody except Ben, his daughter is taken into the fold. And Ben, being the 4D chess player that he is, he attempts to send his daughter off island or not off island, but just kind of off of his perimeter. And he decides that he's going to send her somewhere to keep her safe. And she's a little bopper. She's like, you know, maybe 20 or something. Maybe, no, she's a teenager. And she's got a boyfriend. And he's a teenager. And then there's the quote-unquote mom. The French woman who's been living on the island who does not want to leave the island. Um, he sends them away. Now, please don't ask me how she's her mom. Because at some point, Ben blows the lid on all of that. But um, they escape. And they go on their way. In the course of them going their way, the mercenaries roll up on them and kill the boyfriend and the mom. And now the daughter's left, which they take hostage to negotiate with Ben. And Ben looks out the window and he sees they have his daughter and he's mortified. But at the same time, he thinks he's smarter than everybody. So he says, okay, I never cared about her. I mean, damn, she was just like an orphan born to one of the ladies on the island and I took her and I raised her. So, I, you know, he plays his card too fast. He throws his damn, he throws his ace of spades down before the jokers have been thrown, you know? And, and the guy is like, dude, okay. So he kills her. And Ben, his heart is in his damn throat because he thought that, by trying to pretend like he doesn't really care about her, that that would work. It's like, dude, this is the island of desperation. You can kill people here. You won't get in trouble for killing nobody on that island. 
Just prior to them getting rescued off the island for good, Jack comes down ill. And you can tell he's ill because he's stumbling around. He looks faint. His coloring is off. And But Jack is the guy that's going to push through it. He can have a broken leg and he's going to he's gonna run a race with a broke leg. And so everybody's like, Jack, what's up? You okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm good. And he about to fall over and die and shit. So he is ended up being looked at by Juliet, who is not just a PhD, has some kind of MD training as well because she's able to look at his stomach and press a little bit of this and touch a little bit of that and see and realize that his appendix is ready to burst. And even though she has some medical experience, she doesn't quite know if it burst already and it's just full of fluid or if it's on its way. And he's like, it's on its way. And she's like, okay, well, I got to do surgery and I got to do surgery now. Jack, he is, he is the guy that's got to fix it. So when she decides she's going to do surgery on him, she, he makes her give him a local so that he can guide her through the surgery because she hasn't done surgery since she was in whatever the hell it is when you do your first surgery as a doctor so he has kate hold the mirror up which kate is damn near in worse shape than him because she can't stand first of all she's a little squeamish when it comes to blood and all that and then the second thing is it's jack and she loves jack and the pain is double because to see him in pain and not be able to do anything kate can't stand it Rose's ever resourceful husband. Rose is the black lady that doesn't have cancer now. Her husband, the white husband, he's got so many skills. He's a marksman. He's got some medical training. So he's in there. He's ready and he's like helping and he's got, you know, supplies and all that kind of stuff. And um, he's he's ready to be her, you know, OR aide or whatever the hell you call it. So Jack is damn near about to um scream to death and Juliet has to make an executive decision because as much as he wants to guide he think he gonna guide her while she put her damn hand in his abdomen she knows that she's not gonna do that and she gives Rose's husband which I can't remember his name the signal and he gives Jack chloroform because dude you're not gonna be able to do this so she does it and he, she gets them all sewn up and Kate comes back in the room, in the tent after a while, she reluctantly, because again, Kate is squeamish, and Juliet's like, you can come in and see him, and see how he's recovering, and she's like, thank you so much, and Juliet's looking at him, at her like, you welcome, but no thanks, she doesn't say it, but then she says, you know, um, Juliet gives her a message that's full of, to me, a lot of jealousy, she's trying her best to mask it because Juliet is a very task oriented person. She finds a task and she has to complete it and it helps her to keep her wits about her. Nevertheless, she doesn't do a good job of hiding her emotion because she um, doesn't seem to be well developed in that area where she's able to know how to hide how she's feeling. So she tells Kate, you know, um, me and Jack kissed. And Kate's looking at her like, okay, remember when I said thank you for saving his life? I'm about to kill your ass. And she's like, but, you know, it wasn't like that. He really loves you for real. You know, one of those deals. And Kate leaves out the tent because if she doesn't, fucking Juliet's going to be on the table, cut open next. And Kate's like, Jack, you going to open your damn eyes. I know you woke. 
And Jack opens his eyes and he looks at her like, bitch, why are you telling my business and shit? So, you know, she's she's working on him and Juliet acts very much like a jilted lover, but not in the psychotic, overtly abusive, aggressive way. It's it's a very sophisticated jilting, but you can tell that Juliet wanted Jack for herself. And I don't care if Kate loves Sawyer and Jack. She deserves to have both of them. Yes. <laughs> I hope that Juliet never gets Jack. Please, writers, don't devastate me. I do not like Juliet. I don't trust her. So Jack and Kate do make it work. They try to make it work. They get back together very shortly after her court case. And, you know, Aaron comes with her and he even tries to do that. He sits at the bedside, you know, and reads him stories at night and all that kind of stuff. Kate, at first she starts off good. They're in love. They're, you know, she's standing in the doorway watching him read to her son slash his nephew. And he comes out in the hallway and she's like, you're awesome. You did great. And he's like, did I really do good? And it's like, Jack, yes. So... They frolic, you know, they do what lovers do. They're in bliss for a little bit. And then Jack begins to notice that Kate's getting pretty sus. He comes home and she's on the phone and she hangs up and he's like, who's that? And he uh, and she's like, oh, that was one of the moms, you know. And Jack's looking at her like I'm looking at her like Kate. You do not do mom friends. You don't do that. So Jack's like, okay, I'm going to let this go because I'm starting to get a little cracky and a little alcoholy. So I'm kind of going to let this go because I got something to kind of chase this feeling away. One night, Jack is at the hospital and he's there late because he burns the midnight oil as usual. And... He goes out in the hallway because you know how when your fire alarm or your smoke detector in the house starts that annoying beep that says you have to change the batteries? Apparently, uh, it does it at the hospitals too. So he gets up, he climbs up on a desk at the nurse's, nurse's station and he changes out the battery and he's like, gosh, finally that annoying ass sound. But the actual annoying sound in his head is not that damn beeping. It's the fact that across the lobby, which is dark, but light enough that he can see that a man is sitting in the chair and says, Jack, and waves his arm over all cryptically. And Jack doesn't even have to like must his eyes over because it is his dad who has been dead. You know, Jack and them have been to the island and back by now. His, Jack, his, his dad is dead. And he gets to walking towards this voice. But before he can go over there and completely lose the last vestiges of his mind, one of his fellow doctors who was still at the hospital comes out and she's like, Jack, hey. And he's like, oh, hey, what's up? And she's like, nothing, what you doing? And he's like, oh, man, the damn smoke detector, you know, change the batteries and they giggle the tension off. And he's like, uh. Hey, you know that uh prescription pad you got? You want to go ahead and just write me something real strong real quick? And she's like, Jack, yeah. 
so she takes it out and she writes it and gives it to him without question and then she has to just leave him with something and she's like you know hmm jack uh you probably shouldn't need this if you just got engaged right and he's like yeah you're right She's like, go talk to somebody if you need to. And he's like, yeah, I'm cool. Just, you know, you can leave now. So he leaves and this is the beginning of his cracky journey. That night, he's late, as he always is because he is a doctor and they tend to keep that kind of an hour, especially in his profession, his specialty. He come home and Kate is not there. And he is like, what the hell? So he sets up a little bit of a party for himself. He ain't having no party. But he gets enough alcohol that it looks like it's for like three or four people. And he starts drinking and he's got his pills by now. And, you know, Kate comes moseying in the house and shit. She's like, he's like, after she gets Aaron where he needs to be in the bed. He like, he loses all pretense. He has no chill left. And he's like, where the fuck have you been? And she looks at him like, dude, first of all, I need you to bring that down. Second of all, I'm not going to say nothing, but why is there so much fucking alcohol on the table? And she's like, nowhere, just, you know, let's go to bed or something. And he's like, you have been acting very cheaty lately. You're going to tell me now, what the fuck? And she looks at him like, and he's like, what is it? And she's like, it was Sawyer. And he is like, you went to go see Sawyer? Are you freaking kidding me? At night, I'm late coming home. And I already come home late. And you skipped through the door after you went and seen Sawyer. So they get into it. And he's saying stuff and what kind of puts a nail in the coffin of their relationship is that he says, Aaron's not even your real son. Why are you going on and on about my son, my son, this and that? That's not your damn child. And that timing can't be worse because the baby is up. Cramming the sleep out of his eyes and looking at mommy. And she goes and runs over to him like his whole psyche has been damaged when he's barely woke. But this begins Jack's. This begins what culminates with Jack going to a bridge one night and almost jumping off that bridge. And it also culminates to the scene back in season three, at the end of season three, when he had called Kate to come out there to see him. And he's like, we got to go back. We got to go back. And Kate's like no season four finale the oceanic six is comprised of sunhua saeed kate jack hurley and i can't think of the sixth person guys i'm sorry it could be aaron it may be aaron actually and if I'm not mistaken, it is Aaron. When those six come back, first of all, they're not supposed to be alive. Second of all, Jack realizes in his wisdom 
we cannot tell anybody what happened. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? They're like, he's like, look, the people that wanted to be left behind, the only way that we can conserve and save their lives is if we lie. We cannot tell them that anybody else survived this except us. And that survival story, we have to lie. Kate, you had the baby on the island. Sunha Chinsu died in the crash. John Locke, everybody else that we love and know, they died. And that's where I think that we will end season four. It feels like a good place. I can never get everything that I want to say into these episodes because they would never end. But I want to thank everybody who is listening to the Lost series specifically. You guys are my ride or dies. Now with everybody having a TikTok, you know, length attention span or that's the way they make it seem hmm? it's always so gratifying i appreciate it so much when i see that you guys listen to these episodes more than some so whatever this content is i know that it is full of storytelling that you all are enjoying filling whatever slot in your day that you use this podcast for. I'm honored. I'm grateful to have your time. I never want to misuse it. I always want to bring you things that will help enhance your day. If I have done that, I hope to see you in season five.